Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth, Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. All right, what we got here? It's 30 December. 30 December. It's the end of the year. 2018. Sunday, time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. I can't believe it's 30 December. You know, my son's birthday was two days ago, and he's 31 now. So, wow. Unbelievable. He was this big and in my arms, and it seems like yesterday. And my daughter's a year older than him, and once again, it seems like yesterday. And now they're all grown up, and he said to me at dinner on Christmas night, he came over for a while, and he said, you're really old. <laughs> well, guess what? You're going to be there in another 10 minutes, buddy. Time goes so fast, and the older you are, the faster it goes. All right, a couple things to announce before I give you the details of the update. The first one is Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year. And I want to take time. I took three days off this year, and actually it was more stress and more work than actually taking time off to me. I'm not one to take time off. I don't like going places. But I want to take time to thank the person that I went to visit out in Washington. His name's John Bellows. And uh, while I was out there, he treated me to bear hunting. And I had a great time out there with him. I met some really great people. I've made a couple friends out there. One of them is a friend on Facebook now, and he is the guy that does the bear hunting. And I see him poking around on my wall almost daily. He's liking something. So that means he's getting the gospel. He's getting that. And I have no doubt that he knows the Lord, but uh, uh, he's out in the middle of absolutely nowheresville in Idaho. Uh, we drove over from Washington, Idaho. And uh, so he's, he's able to get uh, the message right there in his home in uh, Idaho. But I just wanted to thank John for that because that was a, a great three days. Uh, other people have come down to Sarasota. We had a family here last week, and they drove down from North Carolina to allow me to baptize them, and it was such an honor. And so uh, my preference would be if somebody wants to be baptized to come to Sarasota. One, you'll get good weather, and two, I won't have to travel because I don't like traveling, but um, there you go to that. And I want to also thank everybody that has helped at this church here in the church online that have, you know, we've never asked for anything in this church other than one time I asked people to send a letter so that we wouldn't have a bar right next to us. And other than that, we've never asked for anything for this church. It's always been for missionaries overseas or orphanages overseas or things like that. And yet people have kept us going. We've been able to stay open without monetizing our videos, without ever asking for anything, just out of the kindness of people sending gifts. And so I appreciate that. And I want to thank everybody for that. And let's see here. Um, also, you know what? A lot of people send some Christmas gifts right out of the blue. And I hope, I hope that I thanked everybody that did that. I don't know if I did because, you know, my wife gets something and she sets it over here. And if I failed to thank somebody for something they sent in the mail, I apologize right now because that would never be my intent. I'm very grateful for everything that uh, people have sent, uh, helping out the church, plus the Christmas gifts. And I could not believe it. Uh, at Bible class, we came in here on Thursday, and there was a box here from Russia, filled with things from Russia. And it was from a ministry that I had asked. As a matter of fact, the person that I just read you about, he has to leave the country he's in, and he has to go up to Russia to get a visa every three months. And that's where he met these people, and it was to ask for help for a building a structure so that the homeless people could live in it, and also an ag project. And people have been helping them. They were so grateful. They sent some Russian chocolate. They sent some Russian tea all the way from Russia, just out of thanks. And they didn't need to do that. They could have just simply said thank you, and that would have been enough for me. But I was so grateful that they did that. And so uh, uh, I know I'm kind of going on about this, but it means a lot to me how people have helped out this ministry, and I'm so thankful. And then um, another thing is that I have another bandana on from the people at Pal Talk. They sent me four. I did not wear one last week because we had a missionary, and I wanted to wear things that she had sent us. But uh, once again, this is, I've got a matching purple shirt for my matching purple, but this is a, what do you call it? It's a camo. It's purple, but it's camo, so I know you can't see me right now. That's okay. I, I'm ugly, so having the camo hide me is a good thing. And then finally, um, we have some people visiting today. We have um, Mike and Zena and Judy. Mike and Zena are from Canada, and Judy is from right over in Zephyr Hills. And then we have Kathy 
Is it Kathy, right? I, I was just going to say Karen, and I knew that wasn't right. She was here last year with us. She comes from Ohio, and she's down visiting right now. And so it's wonderful to have you here again, and thank you so much for making the effort. And um, Ohio, right? It's not Indiana. I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, uh, what's his name? Rick, thank you. And I always get Ohio and Indiana mixed up because you're in that general area. And I'm so embarrassed when I mess those things up, but I knew it was Ohio. Okay, so there we go. So thank you all for being here today. I so much appreciate it. And our first category, as always, is Israel. Uh, let's see here. From Zero Hedge, we have Netanyahu dissolves Israeli parliament. I don't know if you heard about this. It did make the major news, but it's a huge thing that he did. He calls for new elections. In a risky political gambit, this was on Monday, Netanyahu and the leaders of Israel's coalition government formally dissolved the Knesset, which is Israel's parliament, and they will hold early elections as soon as April in order to try to win a broader majority that will allow them to pass a controversial military conscription reform bill that has alienated some far-right members of Netanyahu's coalition. So they're working on that. This affects a lot of other things, though. This, this will affect a lot of things in the world. But it was something that was completely surprising. He came out and he did it. And it really caught a lot of people by surprise. But from Haaretz, just the title, it says, BB's snap election gambit could save him from facing criminal charges. He's been under criminal investigation, just like Trump has. From the moment he got into office, they've been hounding him, and they've got, you know, and anybody in America can sue anybody for anything. They can start any, they can make any accusation. Well, our president's been going through that. Netanyahu's been going through that as well. So it could save him from criminal charges and a U.S. peace plan. So the peace plan obviously goes on hold because who wants to submit a peace plan when everything is in uproar, okay? And who would indict somebody when they have a new election coming up and it suddenly looks like it would in America? So they withhold things until after elections normally, all right, from the Times of Israel. Snap elections may put Trump's peace plan on back burner until summer. White House officials working on the plan are said to be wary of turning the elections into a referendum on the peace plan. You see how one thing leads to another, leads to another, and the Lord is not ready for there to be the Antichrist coming in and said, you know, all of these things get put on hold. The Lord has a perfect plan. Now, we didn't know when Israel was going to be reestablished as a nation, 14 May 1948, until after it happened. And then somebody went to Ezekiel 4, they went back and they did the calculation based on the prophecy which is there and which is also tied to Leviticus 26. If you don't listen the first time, I will punish you seven times over for your sins. 907,200 days later on 14 May of 1948, Israel's reestablished as a nation. And then voila, Jerusalem was finally uh, fallen 19 years after the original exile of the uh, Israel. They had those three exiles and Jerusalem fell. And guess what? 907,200 days later, Jerusalem is recaptured on 7 May 19, or I'm sorry, 7 June 1967. Okay? That was God's timing. That was prophesied in the Bible. Those dates were there and nobody knew what they meant until afterward. And somebody says, I know what's going on. They figured this thing. I think it was Grant Jeffrey that figured that out. Anyway, I'm maybe giving somebody the wrong person the credit for it. But anyway, interesting what happened. Well, the Lord has a plan down to the day of when the rapture is going to happen when the Antichrist is going to be revealed, when Christ is going to return. He knows these things. He knows all of these things, but he is going to have them come on his time, not on ours. And so one little decision by Netanyahu moves this back, it moves that back, moves back this and that. God knows every single thing. He is working through these things to affect his purposes. It's astonishing. Anyway, we'll go on with that um, peace plan. And the concessions it will require from Israel would offer parties close to the settlement movement, a perfect platform from which to attack Prime Minister Netanyahu and others who might be seen as in favor of it, something the administration is apparently keen to avoid. The snap elections scheduled for April 9th will also likely affect Netanyahu's travel plans as he balances his pursuit of diplomatic breakthroughs with the need to orchestrate his Likud's party campaign. I cannot imagine that anyone in the White House would think about releasing the plan at this volatile time, said the head of the Israeli branch of the Republican Party and a staunch supporter of President Trump. Calling early elections virtually ensures that Trump's peace 
will not, or peace plan, they left that out, but peace plan will not be put forward until after a new government is formed in Jerusalem, said David Makosvi, or Makosvi, I can't pronounce that, anyway, who directs the Washington Institute of Near East Policies Program on the Middle East peace process. So one thing affects another, affects another. And it may be that the Trump peace plan never gets submitted because we may be taken out of here. And when that happens, something else will move into place. The world will go into some type of a tailspin and there'll be a time of, you know, people figuring out what to do and how to make the great lie come true. God sends them a delusion. Well, it's not hard for them to do it when people are making stuff up on YouTube all the time and somebody uses that and here, here's how we're going to deceive the people. All of that will come into play. So we don't know. This one thing may have all kinds of other ramifications. From the Times of Israel, Israel sees limits of Trump's support with Syria pullout. Okay, we have said we're going to pull out of Syria, and Israel, read that again, sees limits of Trump's support. Okay, that kind of article, when I read that, I almost went through the roof. There's been no president in the history of this nation that has supported Israel more than our current president. He is 100% behind them. And so I kind of went through the roof, but I'll read this for you. Israeli leaders have lauded Donald Trump for his list of decisions in support of their country since taking office. But the mercurial U.S. president's withdrawal of U.S. troops from Syria will not rank among them. I, I can't tell you how upset I was when I read that, that they would think that we're abandoning Israel because we're doing what he promised to do before he went into office. Okay, this is a uh, whining simp as far as I'm concerned, but we'll go on. All right, um, after Trump's surprise announcement of the pullout last week, Israel's concerned over whether its main enemy, Iran, will have freer hand to operate in the neighboring country, analysts say. Israel's response to the announcement has been measured, careful to point out that it respects the U.S. decision, coupled with pledges to continue to defend its interests in Syria. But beneath those public pronouncements are worries over whether Iran will seek to take advantage of the U.S. absence from the war-torn country and if Russia will respond to Israel's calls to limit it. Beyond that, the manner in which the decision was taken and announced and U.S. Defense Secretary Jim Mattis's resignation in response may also give Israeli leaders pause, some analysts say. Well, those analysts are wrong. Okay, we'll go on from JWR. Trump's decision to pull forces out of Syria has upsides. This is a kind of article that I can read and I can think... Somebody is looking at this positively. This is a Jewish person, and they understand he's not going to abandon them. And let's look at the good part of this. On his face, President Trump's announcement that he is pulling U.S. forces out of Syria seems like an unfriendly act towards Israel. But it's not. Trump's decision to pull U.S. forces out of Syria is of a piece with outgoing U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley's address on Tuesday to the U.N. Security Council regarding the Fakistanian conflict with Israel. Both statements reflect the depths of the admin's friendship and support for the state of Israel. In Haley's speech at the Security Council's monthly meeting concerning the Fakistanians' conflict with Israel, she decried the UN's obsession with Israel. Haley noted that the peace process between Israel and the fakes has failed for 50 years, and she said that it's time to try something new. She enjoined her Arab and European brothers and sisters to move beyond the failed talking points that formed the basis of the failed peace plans of the past half century. Haley's address intuited a key point that has never been raised by a senior U.S. official. The peace process, as she says it, which has been ongoing between Israel and the Fakistinians since 1993, is antithetical to actual peace. Consequently, any effort to achieve actual peace between Israel and the fakes requires the abandonment of the peace process. Haley made this clear by acknowledging that Israel has far less to gain and much more to lose from the peace process than the Palestinians do. She added that if efforts to achieve peace were to fail, Israel would continue to grow and prosper. They're the ones that will lose on this deal. No matter what happens, they will be the ones to lose. They have the power, they are in the position of strength in all of these issues, and yet they will be giving things up in order to make concessions to these people whenever it happens. It's not going to happen now, though. From the Times of Israel, is Trump going to abandon Israel? No. Trump, we give Israel billions. It can defend itself in Syria. President says he's told Netanyahu military aid makes up for lack of U.S. troops amid jitters in Israel that withdrawal will make battling Iranian entrenchment more difficult. 
It's not going to affect them at all. As a matter of fact, it's probably going to stabilize the region for a little while at least. And we know the region is not a stable region in the world. It never was and it never will be. But that's where we're at and he's doing the right thing. He's keeping a promise and Israel is not going to be harmed by this, by our absence. We will be there to defend them as long as we can be able to defend them. All right. And if a war starts against Israel and it's serious enough, we can send people over there in minutes. We can, you know, we've got what do you call it, aircraft carriers all over the world. We've got the ability to fly over. We can be there. We can take care of it. All right, from Christian News Today, from the Daily Wire, two female Christian artists could be jailed for not creating art for same-sex weddings. Now you're an artist. There's the cake thing. Well, now these are artists that could go to jail. Two female Christian artists in Arizona who refused to make custom art for same-sex weddings. You know, these people are just set up one after another. We're a Christian company. Somebody's going to attack you. That's all there is to it. Um, let's see. You could actually be jailed for sticking to their religious beliefs. Joanna Duca and Brianna Koski, who own Brush and Nib Studio, make custom artwork using painting, calligraphy, and hand lettering. They filed suit against the city of Phoenix as a Phoenix City ordinance threatens them with up to six months and or a fine of $2,500 each day they refuse to make the artwork. Now, yes, they're a business, just like any other business can be attacked by this gay lobby. But the fact is they are doing something that is copyrighted. This is something that belongs to them. And when they do it, they sell it off to people. But it is their work. Okay, I don't know how you can force somebody to do artwork for somebody else. I, but that's what they're trying to do. First, the women filed in state court to overturn the ordinance, but lost in a court of appeals, which is astonishing, prompting them to appeal to the state's Supreme Court, which said on November 20th it would hear the case. The Alliance Defending Freedom, which represents the women, asked in their petition, does Phoenix violate the Arizona Constitution's free speech clause when it forces commissioned artists to create custom artwork consisting of words and paintings conveying messages they object to, and when it bans commissioned artists from publishing a statement explaining the artwork they can and cannot create. Does Phoenix violate Arizona's Free Exercise of Religion Act when it uses criminal penalties, including jail time, to force commissioned artists to create custom artwork expressing messages that violate their sincerely held religious beliefs and when it bans religiously motivated speech? That's their questions. We'll see where it goes. Really sad situation. From WND, evangelicals flock to, this is just bad news. I want you to know this before I read this. This is bad news, and I'm going to tell you why, and I'm going to tell you how to get the cure to this. Evangelicals flock to Jewish learning centers in Israel. Thousands of evangelical Christians are turning to Jewish educators in pursuit of authentic Torah teaching. Through online and -and brick-and-mortar facilities in the Holy Land, Jewish teachers, including Orthodox rabbis, are a part of a growing number of initiatives. I want to tell you something. When somebody says, I'm Jewish, it does not make them a specialist in all things Bible. It does not make them a specialist in understanding what the Bible is saying. That's why they've been under punishment for 2,000 years is because they rejected what the Bible clearly points to. Read John chapter 5 if you don't understand what I'm talking about. Okay, just because somebody speaks Hebrew does not mean that he is theologically competent. This is an error that a lot of people are making. Oh, he's Jewish. He must know what he's talking about. I got a friend right now that's monitoring us so that we stay online for the streaming audience who's in Israel, who speaks Hebrew. He's been a Jew his whole life and the life of his family for the past thirty five hundred years. And yet, where does he go to when he needs a question answered on theology? He comes to the superior word. Yes, he goes to the Bible, and then he says, Charlie, what does this mean? Using other people's logic, they'd say, well, he speaks Hebrew. He obviously must know what he's talking about. And this is a problem in the world of Christianity, okay? Now, he is much more competent than he was many years ago when I first met him, and so he can answer most of his own questions. And there are times where I will call him on Monday morning while I'm sermon typing. I'll say, I need some help with the Hebrew. Can you sit down with me and help me with this? And then he can also go to other studies that are in Hebrew, and we can work on those things together. But this is a giant problem to say, I'm going to go to somebody because they're Hebrew, they speak Hebrew, or because they're Jewish, or because they're a rabbi. Bad, bad decision in your Christian walk. I'm going to tell you that right now. We'll go on. What we're seeing is a profound hunger and thirst among Christians for authentic Torah teaching. Torah is simply the first five books of the Bible. Okay, Torah means instruction. That's all it means. The word is used all through the Bible. It just simply means instruction. It is also known as the Pentateuch. 
That means the five books of Moses, Penta, five, right? Okay, so Pentateuch. Or you can call it the law of Moses, okay? That's what it's called. If you go to the New Testament, Jesus does not call it the Torah. He calls it the law of Moses, okay? And he says Moses and the prophets, or sometimes you'll hear Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, okay? So even in the New Testament, they weren't using that terminology. But people hear a word like Torah and they think, oh, I want to be a part of that. And they have no idea what they're getting into. We'll go on. Let's see here. Haaret said Lambert Adler, who published a book on the subject last year called Ten from the Nation's Torah Awakening Among Non-Jews, said many evangelicals see the Jewish people as leaders in Bible scholarship and as individuals who are able to open the door to a better understanding of the Hebraic roots of their own faith. That's a terrible mistake. It's a giant error in theology. And I will tell you where you go to get proper theology on the five books of Moses. You come to the superior word. We started in Genesis 1.1. We have gone every single line. We're now in Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 through 35. You will get them in the proper perspective because they are in the light of Christ. They point to what the Bible said. Jesus said the Bible was going to point to Jesus Christ. You will see all kinds of things. And you want authentic Torah teaching. Not that nonsense you're getting over there. Go to somebody. We got a people, couple people here visiting today that are in a church where the pastor goes line by line by line. That is the type of person that you want to listen to. Doesn't mean they're correct, but at least you can listen to them and make an evaluation. That doesn't match with New Testament theology. These people don't match at all with New Testament theology because they are not Christians. You are making a terrible error. I'll say it one more time. If you want proper Torah teaching, attend our services or watch online. They're all on video. You can watch any one from Genesis 1-1 all the way through. And we also stop in between each major book and we take a little book. We've done Jonah, we've done the book of Ruth, and we've done the book of Esther. You will learn more about those books than you will ever, ever learn from a Jew in Israel. Ever. Okay? That's my plug for our sermons, and I hope you will start doing that and stop watching 20 Prophecy Updates a week. Yes. And we, oh yeah, that's another thing. We got somebody here that's reminding me. I do a commentary line by line on the New Testament. I've been doing it for about 15 years, okay? And I did it one time and I didn't save it because I didn't think anybody would want it. And then I found out that as I was getting towards the end, you should save these. Why? Well, I, I don't have time for that. So somebody started saving them for me and then he died and the, the family said, would you please continue his work? And so I have, I've continued to save them. So they're all online. I had to restart again. But we are right now in the book of Hebrews. If you want to understand what is going on in the Old Testament in detail and who it's pointing to and how it pertains to the nation of Israel, you follow that Hebrew study and you will understand. I guarantee you, you will get insights into what's going on that you will not get in other places. Okay, Hebrews is a very, very complicated book. But we break it down one verse at a time, and you will be properly trained in theology so that when you do go look at the Torah, you'll understand what's going on. Okay, we'll go on. Let's see here. Um, Mail Online, rural Alabama police department criticized for blaming a recent spike on murders on young people turning away from God and embracing Satan. Well, I'd agree with that 100%. Op, OPP, police department in Alabama took to social media to call on young people who embrace Satan to support law enforcement in tackling violence. Cops said there were five murders in Covington County and two recent deaths. Freedom from Religion Foundation said it was illegal for a government entity to endorse or criticize religious belief. The post was subsequently removed from the page after provoking fury. But they were right. You go worshiping Satan, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to have a degradation in the morals of that society, and you're going to get killed, people killed. You're going to get all kinds of crime. That's it. If you hold to proper Christian values, things will go okay. From Islam today, Zero Hedge, Germany, new law banning child marriage declared unconstitutional. Yes, the ruling which effectively opens the door to legalizing Sharia-based child marriages in Germany is one of our— You want to know why we don't want this here? for things exactly like this. Two, two uh, judicial systems running concurrently in one nation. One applies to those people and one applies to other people. And then when they affect you, all of a sudden it falls to their religious, their judicial system. Sorry, doesn't work. We do not want Sharia in this nation. We don't want it anywhere in this world. But here we go. Germany is uh, one of a growing number of instances in which German courts are wittingly or unwittingly promoting the establishment of a parallel Islamic legal system in the country. 
The, and this is happening in Canada as well, folks. The Federal Court of Justice, I can't pronounce it, it's a big word like Bunder, Gerish, something, whatever. Anyway, Germany's highest court has ruled that a new law that bans child marriage is unconstitutional because all marriages, including Sharia-based child marriages, are protected by Germany's basic law. The Justice Minister of Hess Eva Kuhn-Hormann asked if underage persons, quite rightly, are not allowed to buy a beer, why should the lawmakers allow children to make such profound decisions related to marriage? Others said the ruling would open the floodgates of cultural conflict in Germany, yes, as Muslims would view it as a precedent to push for the legalization of other Islamic practices, including polygamy, in the country. In September 2016, the German Interior Ministry, responding to a Freedom of Information Act request, revealed that 1,475 married children, including 316 children under the age of 14, were known to be living in Germany as of July 31st, 2016. So that was two years ago, two and a half years ago. They have children under 14 that are married in Germany, and they can't do anything about it. Bloomberg. Russia has a plan for Libya, another Gaddafi. Now, I've been saying this. I've been saying it for a long time. You are not going to see Gog Magog until Libya is in hip deep with Russia. It's not going to happen. People are talking about, oh, Isaiah 17, this, and, and I'm taking those verses way out of context, too, by the way. But um, we have Isaiah 17 being talked about or being talked about, oh, Iran and Russia are lining up and now Turkey. Those are all true things. But until Libya is a part of this, it is not going to happen. The list is in Ezekiel 38, and it includes them as well. And so what Russia is doing here right now is a part of this. And once this alliance is set, then we can start really talking about things quickly unfolding. And it may be tomorrow. They may make an alliance, and it may happen that quickly. But it's not going to happen until we know that this alliance is solidified. So we'll go on. The former director's son, Sarif al-Islam, this month became the latest in a long line of Libyans to seek Moscow's support as President Putin steps up Russia's role in the energy-rich state. With the U.S. all but absent, I wonder why, the Kremlin sees an opening to become the key power broker in Libya. Exactly what the Bible shows is coming, folks. Anyway, um, let's see here. Rudderless and divided since Gaddafi's overthrow and death in 2011. Russia is, listen to this, likely to be emboldened in that aim by a U.S. pullout of Syria. So, as I said, everything affects something else. Israel will be okay. They're going to be fine without us in Syria. But this gives Russia a little more chance to move into Libya, which eventually will come against Israel. Everything points to something else happening, which is already prophesied right here. That's what we want to keep thinking of. How do these things point to what is going to happen? All right. So Moscow has until now been seen as throwing in its lot with Khalifa Haftar, a guy I've mentioned many times, a military strongman who controls most of the oil producing east of Libya. Yet Russia has been quietly building ties with all the competing factions. That puts it in a position to benefit more than other outside powers that support one side or the other. The West did everything it could to plunge this country into chaos, specifically Barack Obama. All right. Now, all parties to the conflict trust Moscow. While there are major issues facing a bid for power by Saif al-Islam for the Russians, their best case scenario is to back someone from the former regime because they know each other well and have had decades of dealings during the Qaddafi rule. For Putin, who angrily condemned the NATO-led military campaign that overthrew Gaddafi's four-decade rule as a crusade, restoring Russia as a key player in Libya after his successful intervention in Syria would bolster his country's heft at U.S. expense. It also opens up the path to reconstruction contracts worth billions, a share of Africa's largest oil resources, and a possible new naval base on the Mediterranean. Russia switched strategy on Libya last year. As well as supporting Haftar, Moscow put a lot of effort into courting the rival UN-backed government in Tripoli and other power centers. So they're going with everybody. They're just aligning with everybody. They're going to see who kills who, and then they'll side with the, the victor of these inner struggles in Libya. All right. So it goes on. Um, Haftar has been a frequent visitor to Moscow since 2016, but Prime Minister Fayez al-Saraj and other top Libyan officials are also regularly in the Russian capital. The Kremlin's strategy appears to be paying off. 
Russia's in its talks with Libya on restarting a $2.5 billion contract to build a high-speed rail line from Benghazi to Sirte. Russian defense manufacturers that lost $4 billion in arms deals in Libya also stand to gain. Libya is, meanwhile, buying 1 million tons of Russian wheat for $700 million. Russian energy interests are also advancing. All of this was set up because of our previous president, and now we're facing this here, which is ultimately going to affect Israel. So everything links one thing to another. From Haaretz, Rashida Tlaib to where Fakistinian gown while being sworn into Congress. One of the two Muslim women that was selected is making a statement by wearing a gown made in Fakistan. Okay, I am siding with them. And this is now going to be, as I've said, several updates in a row, this is now going to be something which is the Democrat Party of the United States is going to have to face. They have a little socialist that hates Israel up in New York. They've got these Muslims. They've got other people that are changing their minds about Israel. And I have to tell you what, the Democrat Party of the United States is going to have to face this. From Xinhua, jihadi work accident. Five Taliban fighters planning an IED killed when the device prematurely detonates. No problem there. Are you having a problem over there, Jim? Is he? No. No. Oh, okay. Uh, From Ynet, Trump, we can use Iraq as a base for Syria operations. So he's not really pulling out of Syria altogether, is he? He's not there not defending Israel, is he? President Trump defended his decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria during an unannounced visit to Iraq and said that the U.S. would remain in Iraq, adding, in fact, we could use this as the base if we wanted to do something in Syria. Reuters reported last week that the Pentagon was considering using special operations teams to target Islamic State militants in Syria based out of Iraq. Once again, that first article, I was so upset when I read that. Oh, poor us, poor Israel. We're being left behind by Donald Trump, who has done more for them than any other president. And I knew that wasn't the case, and all I had to do is just start reading more articles. And sure enough, even the Jews know that that's not the case. But you get these weepy people that put stuff out like that, and it's because they're on the left, and everything they see is from that mental perspective, the left. From Mongolia, from The Economist, Everyone in Mongolia drives a, I reported on this about a year and a half ago. Anybody remember what type of car they drive? Horse. No. Well, they, they probably have a lot of horses. They do out in the, uh, uh, a Prius. Yeah, 60% of Mongolia's car imports last year were hybrids. Now, here's why. It's very interesting. I lived in Japan. I can testify to this. Uh, they're popular in Mongolia as elsewhere because hybrid engines are efficient and fuel costs low. They're very poisonous to the environment, though, so when they get in the scrap heap, they cause a lot of problems. But the cars themselves are also cheap. You can pick up a used Prius for as little as $2,000, and I guarantee you they are in absolutely mint condition when they get them. Okay? This is partly because most Mongolian ones are secondhand imports from Japan, where passenger vehicles more than three years old must undergo expensive safety tests. And they're not expensive. They cost more than the car itself. I was there for six years, and the U.S. forces stationed there were exempt from that. And so you drive around Japan, you see an old broken-down, beat-up car. You know that's an American because the Japanese, their cars are done after three years. They take them and ship them off to somebody else. But they take very good care of those cars during those three years. So you get a Japanese car, it would be a very well-maintained car, and you get it for almost nothing. Okay? So... Rather than shell out for those, many Japanese drivers buy a new car. That is the point of the tests, some say, to boost domestic car makers, and that's exactly what it is. In 2017, Japan exported 30,000 hybrid vehicles to Mongolia. In addition, the government has exempted hybrids from various taxes in an attempt to clean the air in Ulaanbaatar. The city is one of the most polluted in the world in winter because of the widespread use of coal for heating and power generation. Here's the fallacy of that. They have proven this. When you plug a car into an electric generator, it takes more fuel and it causes more damage to the environment than using gas because modern gas engines are more efficient than they were 30 years ago, much more. They produce much less uh, toxic stuff out in the atmosphere, etc. So it is a lie, but that's what they're being told, and so there you go. The city is one of the most polluted in the world in winter because of the widespread use of coal for heating and power generation. Hybrid vehicles enter the country duty-free, and unlike most cars, are exempt from air pollution tax. So there you go. That's Mongolia for the week. Daniel 12 Technology. Patently Apple says, a monstrous Apple patent on all things face, ID, 
surfaced in Europe this week with both face and touch ID on the same phone. Now think of that face, right eye, touch ID, right hand. Okay, so we're getting closer to what the Bible says, right hand or the uh, forehead, whatever. Okay, the mark of the beast. Anyway, we're getting closer to that. We don't know what it's going to be. It could be anything. It could be our chip. It could be a scan, whatever. But at this point, things are getting more settled towards what's coming. This week, the European Patent Office published two major patent applications from Apple that relates to biometrics and more specifically to both face and touch ID on the same iPhone. Apple's European patent application states that biometric authentication, for instance, of a face, iris, or fingerprint using electronic devices is a convenient and efficient method of authenticating users of electronic devices. Biometric authentication allows a device to quickly and easily verify the identity of any number of users. Deviation from the alignment of the biometric feature often results in a false negative. Instead of holding it here, you hold it here and you get a false negative, right? Okay, so... As a result, a user is optionally required to unnecessarily perform multiple iterations of biometric authentication or is optionally discouraged from using the biometric. This is why Apple introduced a 3D face ID. You go like this and it gets the whole thing, right? It requires the user to rotate their head as their true depth camera scans it from many angles to make it easier for facial recognition to work at a higher rate. So you have 3D and you also have your handprint and it's supposed to be, you can't copy that in any way, shape or form. Mail online, how hackers can use a 3D printed head to break into your phone by fooling its face recognition system. So you just scan the 3D head and you get the same thing. Apple iPhones models, including the iPhone X, XR and XS were most secure. Androids were least secure with one allowing access just with a photograph. It could let hackers access private information stored on your device. It is not illegal for police to forcibly hold your face to unlock it. So police can do that. They can unlock it and say, okay, we're going to get into your phone. But there's always somebody that will find some way around something. Okay. That's why whatever is coming will be hack proof. It will have to be, as it says in the Bible, a, a basically a haragma, a, a mark on the body, a tattoo type of thing that cannot be replicated in any way, shape, or form. We don't know what it is, but it is coming, okay? From Tom's Guide, Samsung Patton's phone display that projects Star Wars-like holograms. Okay, they have holograms already, but you can only look at them in one direction, okay? You know, in, uh, what was it, Star Wars, and Princess Leia comes out of R2-D2, and you can walk all the way around her and see her. Here we go. Samsung claims that it has invented a new holographic device that will actually project high-quality 3D images in the air without you having to look at a display from a specific angle. So anybody around your phone while you're talking to me, okay, I'm on your phone, don't, I'll break your phone. But somebody, you've got a hologram of somebody coming here. Everybody can stand around a circle and they can see it, okay? Uh, let's see here. The display uses a new type of spatial light modulator that eliminates the limiting viewing angle and low resolution of current holographic technologies. The document describes a series of micro lens arrays set on flat surface that focuses the light beam emitted from the display to project the 3D image into midair thanks to the company's new spatial light Modulator. Very interesting, very cool, very old tech if you think of it, because I was in what, like grade school or I don't know, whenever Star Wars first came out, but they'd already thought of it. We're just catching up with that now. <laughs> All right, Revelation Plagues today. ABC, New Jersey Surgery Center possibly exposed thousands of patients to HIV, hepatitis, and other infections. New Jersey is just a basket case lately. Yeah. Wow, more than 3,000 patients of a surgery center in Bergham. County, New Jersey, may have been exposed to HIV, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, according to the NHDOH. That's a lot of little abbreviations there. A letter from the Health Plus Surgery Center was sent out this month notifying patients who had a procedure there between January and September that they may have come in contact with various infections. An investigation by the DOH revealed that during this time period, lapses in infection control, in sterilization, cleaning instruments, and the injection of medications may have exposed patients to bloodborne pathogens, the letter states, adding that it is important to get tested even if you do not remember feeling sick. Now, why is that important? A couple thousand people are exposed. The reason why I bring things like that up is because when the ball drops, 
and when there is no hygiene and you don't have rubber gloves coming into the hospital and there's blood all over the place because of all of the accidents and people being shot because they're trying to steal food from other people and stuff, it's going to be terrible. You wonder how the world can end up like it says in Revelation in seven years? It ain't hard to figure. Once again, I was in wastewater for many, many years, 20-some years of my life. And I can tell you that you cut off the wastewater flow, which is going to happen when these municipalities can't afford to keep those pumps going, the lights on the streets going. When that wastewater stops flowing, there is going to be disease everywhere, and it's going to happen very quickly. And if you live in a high-rise apartment, it's going to happen even quicker. There's nowhere for that stuff to go. There's no water coming up to clean it up. It is going... 80% of the people during the Great Depression lived out of the cities. Now 80% of the people in America live in the big cities. They don't have any clue as to how to grow their own food. They don't have any clue how to shoot up a little squirrel and prepare it for dinner. It is going to be horrific. It's going to be horrific when the ball drops. It's going to happen so quickly that seven years is going to seem like an eternity to these people. It's going to be unbelievable. Fox. You talk about a revelation plague. This is it. Think of this during the end times. Man who sniffs dirty socks daily, hospitalized with fungal infection in his lungs. Yes, a man in China who reportedly sniffed his dirty socks each day learned the hard way that his habit is apparently a health danger. The man, identified only as Peng, reportedly developed a habit of sniffing his socks each day after work. If you do this, stop now, because if you're not a Christian and you're not going out at the rapture, you need to not be sniffing your socks during the tribulation period. But this unusual custom allegedly landed him in hospital after the Zhangzhou resident complained of chest pains, tightness in his chest, and a cough. Science Alert reported, initially doctors at Zhangzhou's 909 hospital suspected that Peng, 37, had pneumonia. But when his systems persisted, doctors re-questioned the man, and he eventually admitted he was addicted to smelling his socks that he had been wearing. Physicians would later discover that the man had serious fungal infection in his lungs, more formally known as pulmonary fungal disease. Don't sniff your socks. Get off that habit now, you addict, you. Morality Today from the Free Beacon, New York Times guest column, Human Extinction could be good for the planet. Now, the reason why this really took me personally is because I have a brother, you all know him, that are here. He was in a college course, and this is 20-some, 25-some years ago, and a guy said exactly the same thing. And he was like, what are you talking about? Well, listen to this. Clemson used Todd May likening the downfall of humanity to famous tragic characters like King Lear and Oedipus said that it could be well that humanity requires elimination. Although it would be sad, May wrote, human beings are destroying animals, ecosystems, and the planet with their population growth and contributions to climate change. And if that were all there was to the story, the elimination of the human species would be a good thing, full stop. Okay, I'll stop right there and I'll say that it says in the Bible that the creation was ordained for man. Okay, God created man as the highest part of this creation, and the creation is for man. It's for our benefit, okay? Yes, we're to take care of it, but this is absolutely crazy thinking here. This is absolutely insanity. Then he's he's a professor. The kids have got to go into a class and listen to this type of stuff. One might ask here whether, given this view, it would be a good thing for those of us who are currently here to end our lives in order to prevent further animal suffering. It may well be, then, that the extinction of humanity would make the world better off and yet would be a tragedy. I don't want to say this for sure, since the issue is quite complex, but it certainly seems a live possibility, and that by itself disturbs me. Okay, I wrote him an email. Okay, the title of it was Man Up, Todd. You can imagine what my comments were to him. If you're going to speak, be the first. Make the example, Man Up, Todd. If you want his email, it is mayt, M-A-Y-T, at Clemson, E-D-U. Send him an email and tell him what an idiot he is. He ought to get his head straight. He's warping people's minds. There are people that are in those classes, and one of them's bound to say, you know what, I'm the problem, and kill himself, and he will have no remorse over it at all. You know what happened? I read this this morning. I was going to put in irony of the week, but I'll just tell you right now. That uh, police officer that was killed by that illegal immigrant this past week, guess who sent him his condolences? 
the person that authored the Sanctuary City Act that allowed that police officer to get killed. And this person here is a professor, and he's going to do this to one of his students, and he's not going to care. He'll send a letter of condolences to the family, just like that idiot out in California. What a world are we living in where we put up with this type of stuff? Email that guy and tell him that he needs to man up or shut up. Okay, mail online. The most premature baby to ever survive. Ever. Listen to this. Lila Stensrud was born in July 2014 at 21 weeks and four days, weighing just 14.4 ounces and measuring 10 inches long. We abort babies that are far, far older than that. She is believed to be the earliest surviving premature baby. Many hospitals do not recommend resuscitating babies born before 22 weeks because they have such a low rate of survival. Who cares? Who cares? Try. If it doesn't live, it doesn't live, but you try. But Courtney fought for her daughter and Lila was resuscitated and survived. Lila was kept at NICU for 126 days before her parents, Courtney and Paul, could take her home. Her mother had kept their identity private despite interest from the medical community in Lila's health and development. She reveals the four-year-old from San Antonio, Texas is now thriving. She's a beautiful girl. You see her picture, her speech uh, delay the only indication of her life-threatening premature birth. Only a speech delay. And guess what? I got a son that wasn't born prematurely. He didn't speak for three years, not a single word. Now you can't get him to shut up. But for three years, he didn't say a word. We had him inspected for hearing. We had him inspected for everything. They could not figure it out. He was just waiting to say the right thing. And he, I'm telling you what, that kid, when he was this big, he walked up and he would ask questions that I wouldn't think a, a scientist would ask. You know what? We way underestimate human life and the ability of God to create something wonderful. And we abort children that have full potential. And we tell people that we need to kill ourselves so the animals can exist on this earth. Animals without a soul need to stay here while people with the soul creating God's image need to go. Absolutely crazy. Man up, Todd. Our other category. I'm so angry at that article. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be so angry, but it just, I read that and. The Sun, Game Changer. China tests sub-launched nuclear missile that can strike America from thousands of miles away. They can't hit us from China right now from their mainland, but now they can send a submarine missile to us. They can hit us now. China has successfully tested a submarine-launched missile, dangerous world we're living in, which can unleash a nuclear holocaust anywhere in the United States. The game-changing Chinese military flight tested the Zhulong-3 missile that will be deployed with the next generation of ballistic missile submarines, which are in the pipeline. Chinese authorities have denied the test, but a well-placed source within the American military has confirmed that the launch took place last month. China has also been developing a whole next-generation battery of weapons, including hypersonic missiles and electromagnetic railguns. Military bosses are bent on transforming the armed forces into the world's most powerful and have set a target of 8.1% growth, and they've been meeting it. This is a scary world. Mail online. Trump admin will make millions of able-bodied Americans get jobs or lose their food stamps after Congress refuses to write the same plan into law. Our Congress, I, I have to tell you, Beth sent me something yesterday, and once again, I was fuming after reading that. Our Congress did nothing, nothing. I'm talking about the Republicans. They didn't decrease anything. They only increased everything. Now, hopefully, the article was good enough to indicate that we may have a chance to do something after two years of very poor Democratic rule. But I, were you fuming when you read that part of that article you sent me, Beth? I, I, I literally fuming that we have a Republican president and a Republican Congress and they can't do anything except sit on their thumbs and try to not offend people. All right, let's see here. Sorry, I got off on that one too. Um, the new rule restrict states' ability to give food stamp benefits to able-bodied people who don't work. Congress passed a new farm bill without changing the existing food assistance program, so the USDA immediately floated a rule change to uh, the status quo. Millions will be ineligible for exemptions, forcing them to get jobs or lose their benefits. The DOA spends $80 billion a year, and $70 billion of that goes to food stamp 
benefits for people that have two arms and two legs and should get out and work. Trump said he aims to move Americans from dependence to independence and from welfare to gainful employment. Thank you, President Trump. From the Hill, latest Trump plans would open Alaskan Arctic to drilling by next summer. Finally. The tra- but it'll go into le- uh, you know, legal challenges and it will never get done. But at least he's doing it. The, let's see here. The Trump admin rolled out a long-awaited proposal that could open up oil and gas drilling in Alaska's Arctic as early as next summer. Interior's announcement is the second stage in a first-of-its-kind bid to allow fossil fuel extraction in the Anwar, actions Congress mandated in a vote last December. The plan is being trumpeted as a key cog in the president's push towards increased energy independence. An energy-dominant America starts with an energy-dominant Alaska. And among the scores of accomplishments we have had at Interior under President Trump, taking these steps towards opening the 1,002-mile section of Alaska's northern slope stands out among the most impactful toward bolstering America's economic strength and security, said outgoing Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke in a statement. Once again, good job, Trump. Mail online, one, two, B, four, five. Yes, I said that right. Scientists discover the honey-loving insect can count using only four brain cells. Now think of it. Think of the human mind and what God has done. You know, I learned something a couple days ago watching a TED video, okay? Dogs and how to train them and responding and everything. You know how big a dog's brain is? Any dog, the size of a lemon. And think of how much love they give you. Think of the things they can do. We can train them to do all kinds of stuff. They can sniff out bombs and they can do circus acts. I mean, they're, they're, they're wonderful. And they give you love. I said that. But they also give you love. I said it twice now, three times. They're wonderful. And they've got a brain this big. Think of the human being and our large brains and they're interconnected. And because we have what are called cranial convolutions, the dips in our brains, that increases the size of our brain geometrically. Okay, when you want to cut somebody down, you say you are smooth skinned in your brain. And that's you mean you can't think at all. Right. But okay, these cranial convolutions allow us to have literally billions and billions of receptors going off all over the place. This is the marvel of what God has done in the human being. A bee can count with four brain cells. Here's what it says. Bees are known to count to small numbers by closely studying one item at a time. Scientists studied this with a computer model which had only four brain cells. They found the bee's counting method is possible with only four neurons. Organization of the brain, like our cranial convolutions, they say, man, you are lacking significant cranial convolutions. That's what you say to them. They are more important than brain size, scientists found. I just love reading stuff like that in a prophecy update because that shows you the gift that God has given us in the human being, and we you throw it away. You can't evolve into that, folks. It is not possible. Okay, I got a less Rick for you. To the dumber than a rock's box, he's the one that sucks face with his socks. It is not such a feat smelling what's on the street and wind up as the fodder of docks. Good job, Les. Okay, irony of the week. Unintended consequences. I got two of them. From reason. Baltimore woman says she'll use gun buyback cash to pay for an even bigger gun. And she did. Unintended consequences. All right, mail online. Single mom who had her son, seven, watches sick younger brother, four, while she went to work, is arrested and later loses her job after police find the boys at home alone watching... Home Alone, yes. Unintended consequences, such as the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is the Superior Word. Happy New Year, everybody, from Sarasota, Florida.